Uh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Welcome to the preamble for Electric Liberty Land episode number 153. So with that, uh, yeah, you know what? Let's uh, let's talk about healthcare again. I think that's a good idea. During this open enrollment period for healthcare that has been foisted upon us by the government and by Obamacare, check out a longtime sponsor of our program, Health Excellence Plus. Now, you can join this during your open enrollment if you're a government employee, if you have a corporate mandate that you have to do that. However, they do have year-round enrollment, and you're going to be saving yourself some money. In all likelihood, I can't guarantee it, but I can almost promise it. You've got the McWilliams almost sign of assurance. And also, this is a free market solution. You can hear an interview if you're curious about how this is all working, how it's tying together that Mark just did with the founder of Health Excellence Plus over at lionsofliberty.com slash health. So check it out. Support a free market solution that's going to put you and your family in a better position moving forward in 2020. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Yo, everybody. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land episode number 153. I mean, you can find all the show notes for today's episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 153. I know it's my catchphrase, but uh, maybe a short episode today. I've had a really shitty, shitty day just dealing with uh, homeowner stuff. And uh, man, people uh, dealing with lenders, making me dig up all sorts of stupid bullshit. Very goddamn aggravating and just digging through shit. Can't find shit. Oh, wait, there's a hundred dollars here. It's different than from this fucking bullshit tax bill that you got. Uh, you know, we had to talk about that. Wow. Really? hundred dollars, a hundred fucking dollars talking about a loan for hundreds of thousand dollars. You're going to bust my fucking tits over a hundred dollars. Anyway, aggravating. And that is on top of several other layers of aggravation. So I've just I had a long day. I've had a long day. But it did not stop me, my dear friends, from being able to record what I hope will be several. I'll try to do one a week, maybe more. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how much time I have because God knows I do not have a lot of time and I'm struggling to get the things done I need to get done uh, for the rest of what I owe our patrons on the back end, our paying patrons who would get to our bonus shows like The Generate Gamblers like the Conspiracy Corner shows, like Do Nothing Man. Do Nothing Man is really the thing that's driving me nuts. Keep me up at night. Try to get that done. Uh, But you can join if you want to see what's frustrating me so much and to which I put so much time and thought and effort and hours of my sweet, vibrant life into by going to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. I know a lot of people cut back during the holiday season. They say, well, $5 a month, I got to rein it in. Well, listen up, you goddamn Scrooges. Lions of Liberty here. We're busting our humps here over the holiday season for you guys. All year round, we're giving you amazing content. The OG Variety Show, three days a week. Rain or shine, we never take a week off, unlike other podcasts out there that will take time off. Nope, we be sure to record it in advance, making sure that we get those out for you so you can ignore your families. And we ignore our families to enable you to ignore your families. You see, it's the cycle of ignoring family. Anyway, 
don't be uh, don't be a goddamn Scrooge. Toss us some shekels there, Ebenezer. Okay. Anyway, let's get into the show. Without further ado, here's a little holiday ditty, and I'll be right back after. Frosty the straw man is a favorite of all types. With a cone cob pipe made of activist tripe, he's bullshit on a roll. Frosty the straw man is no fairy tale, they say. He's made of baloney, but the children know they'll say anything to get their way. There must have been some magic in those activist studies they found To have everyone pretend that the world would end if we didn't put insert here down Frosty the straw man stays alive on cable news And the children say he's got headlines all day just to frame the NRA a trumpety trump trump trumpety trump trump look at frosty go trumpety trump trump trumpety trump trump hey it's rachel maddow oh frosty the straw man knew the truth was out that day he said this argument's one i made a different one then agrees with what i have to say down to the village with the broomstick in his hand he dodged counterpoints like he had double joints, saying, catch me if you can. He led them down the streets of town right to the traffic cop. And he only paused a moment when he heard him holler. That isn't true. None of this is true. You're not even addressing the same topic we're talking about. You're dancing around the issue, you asshole. Oh, Frosty the straw man had to hurry on his way But he waved goodbye saying, don't you cry, I'll be back again someday As a reason to censor free speech, a reason to take your guns, a reason to roll back gay marriage An argument against capitalism, as a robot army like Andrew Yang talks about as white nationalists Ah, Frosty the straw man never melts, does he? Always seems to stick around no matter what. Goddamn Frosty. But good news, guys. Somebody out there did melt. The Wicked Witch of the West. Yes, Kamala Harris, a.k.a. Cop Supreme, a.k.a. the Prosecutor, the Electrocutor. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something else that ends in cuter, but I, I can't think of it. Anyway, say goodbye. Say goodbye to my little friend. Because Kamala Harris. <laughs> is gone. She's out. She's out of the race. Officer down. Everybody, we have an officer down. Oh God. I, I cannot take more pleasure in, in her campaign coming to a, a screeching halt in her plummeting poll numbers. And that's why she didn't quit this race because of a lack of funding, because she was still had enough funding to get in the races. No, she's gone because people have finally watch the debates or, or I presume they're watching the debates or maybe they're just listening to our recaps of the debates. But they took everything she is in, which is somebody that lacks any substance whatsoever. Somebody that just to remind everybody hilariously said that she had gotten ahead by standing up and, you know, I, I'm always strong standing up for this and that, blah, blah, blah. She got her start because she was the girlfriend of mayor Willie Brown in San Francisco. And he got her a job. 
and he pushed her forward in political circles and enabled her career. If she hadn't been sleeping with the mayor, I doubt much of that would have happened. That we can't say for sure. And again, I don't really have a problem with people sleeping the way to the top. Just <laughs> I want to point that out as well. But if you did sleep your way to the top, let's not pretend that you did. Let's not pretend that you're some sort of person with a, a high moral compass, especially when you're somebody that's known predominantly for keeping people in jail when you knew there was evidence that could exonerate them and for going after parents who were poor, who were desperate for money, who were trying to work to keep their children fed, and instead going after these people and threatening to throw them in jail because their kids were missing school. And this is among many other horrible things that Kamala Harris has done. So adios, Kamala. I will enjoy putting on my tap shoes and dancing on the grave of your campaign and your shattered dreams. Delightful. I look forward to many other people following in your footsteps. And let's not forget, too, that Tulsi Gabbard really just destroyed Kamala Harris. I mean, I give Tulsi a lot of the credit for taking down this, this horrible beast, this police officer masquerading as a force for good or some sort of compassionate individual within the Democratic Party. When Tulsi Gabbard ripped her a new asshole, Actually, why don't we just listen to it and remind ourselves again how we fell in love for the first time. And yes, I know Tulsi Gabbard's not great on every topic, but this was a beautiful thing. So let's just all just bask in the glow for a moment, right? It's the holiday season. Congresswoman Gabbard, you took issue with Senator Harris confronting Vice President Biden at the last debate. You called it a, quote, false accusation that Joe Biden is a racist. What's your response? I want to bring the conversation back to the broken criminal justice system that is disproportionately negatively impacting black and brown people all across this country today. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, Senator Harris, your response. As the elected attorney general of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work. And I am proud of making a decision to not just give fancy speeches or be in a legislative body and give speeches on the floor, but actually doing the work of being in the position to use the power that I had to reform a system that is badly in need of reform. That is why we created initiatives that were about reentering former offenders and getting them counseling. It why, and because I know that criminal justice Thank system you, is Senator. so broken, that I am an advocate for what Thank we you, need Senator. to do to your, not only decriminalize, but legalize marijuana in the United States. I want to I bring uh, Congresswoman uh, Gabbard back in. Your response? The bottom line is, Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, 
innocent people. You actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And the people who suffered under your reign as prosecutor, oh, you owe them an apology. Oh, yeah, baby. That's right. Give it to me. Give it to me all night long, Tulsi. Anyway, goodbye, Kamala. Now, I don't know what, who's bopping up in the uh, next debate. I think they've narrowed it to six people. Tulsi, I know, is not. I know she's taking umbrage with the uh, the polls that are being used for the next Democratic debate. I don't know. I'm praying she gets on the stage. There's very few people that are anti-war. It's basically her and Bernie seem to be the only ones that are truly anti-war on the stage. But uh, we shall see. We've got a couple of weeks until the next one takes place. And we will once again be doing our debate recaps as horrible as they are and uh, sitting through the slog once again. But it is kind of interesting. I will say this, you know, the, the media clearly pushed Kamala Harris to the forefront for a large portion of the campaign. Like as soon as she kind of threw her gauntlet in the ring, they said, oh, we got to go for it. We got to go up there and we got to push this woman forward. You know, a woman of color, the strong woman known mostly for making stupid internet videos. You know, she was always, she was always one of those people that bugged the living hell out of me when I'd watch her on, you know, like there'd be Senate hearings. And she was one of those aggravating people that goes up there, asks someone a question, and then before they can even get an answer, like I remember, I think it was Bob Barr was was taking some questions, or maybe it was Brett Kavanaugh was, you know, she was asking questions. I can't remember exactly who, because there's a, a lot of these dumb videos out there. But Kamala Harris asked a question, and then as the person starts to answer, interrupts the guy like four fucking times, and then just yells at him. It's like, look, None of this is helping. This is just you grandstand. This is like Cory Booker's I am Spartacus moment. Another guy who's not making the next round, by the way. And I can't remember who it was. Somebody on Twitter I was looking at, they said, you know, it's interesting considering the diverse amount of people that were coming into this Democratic debate, you know, into this into this primary season for the Democrats. Because, you know, you had Julian Castro, the worst Spanish speaker on stage. You had Beto O'Rourke, a.k.a. Cup, Cuck Supreme, let me take your guns and bend over backwards uh, to hate myself enough. And you had Kamala Harris, you had Cory Booker. And of course you got Pocahontas who, who pretended she was native American for a long time. So you had a very diverse number of people up there. And now it's down to just all the whiteies again. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard, if she made it, she'd be somebody of color. You know, she's, I think her, uh, her parents were somewhere, I think in India or maybe, uh, maybe like, Tibetan, I don't know. They, I'm trying to think of the names of her parents um, beforehand, but they were something around that kind of region. Uh, anyway, interesting how things work out. At the end of the day, I guess just being a skin color isn't enough to get you elected. And just not being black or just being white isn't enough to get you elected either. You know, we saw Barack Obama was elected two times, two consecutive times. The Democrats seem to forget that. When they tell us that everybody in the United States has somehow become more racist since he was in office and somehow somehow hate hate all the blacks and they hate all the Muslims, they hate everybody else. Um, I don't know. Had a black president for eight years. He's still left uh, with very high approval ratings uh, from a lot of the independents that went for Donald Trump in the next election. So you tell me. Maybe it's just that you're a warmongering, criminal prosecuting piece of shit. Maybe it's that you are taught, you know, touting these insane healthcare plans, insane green deal plans, and all this other garbage that people don't really care about. And they'd rather just have somebody, I don't know, maybe rein in the military industrial complex, maybe stop sending troops overseas. 
Maybe give us a, uh, a little bit more freedom at home. Maybe some lower tax incentives. Maybe just get the fuck out of the way. All these things seem to be something that more people would appreciate than what any of the Democrats are selling at the current state. But hey, I ain't running. Who am I to talk? Just a guy in the back of a house yelling into a microphone who's had a shitty day. All right, let's move on to another topic. Uh, you know, I want to give uh, credit to my boy, Bobby Wilson, our uh, one of our Pride members supreme, for drawing my attention to this. But this guy, Zach Cantor, he is a uh, founder and CEO of some, quote, modern EDI platform. I'm not going to plug it because fuck this guy. But he's got like 20,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, he's a big eco-warrior and posted what has to be one of the goddamn stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. And it was this. Here's his quote. And he quotes his own article, by the way. So he's quoting himself. So he quotes his own article. Uh, and he says this in, on Twitter. One huge drawback of nuclear power is that it doesn't dismantle systems of oppression. It only produces clean energy. This makes it unsuitable for solving the climate crisis, which just isn't just about the environment. And he then quotes himself in this article. And here's his quote from his, his article. That action must be powerful and wide-ranging. After all, the climate crisis is not just about the environment. It is a crisis of human rights, of justice, and of political will. Colonial, racist, and patriarchal systems of oppression have created and fueled it. We need to dismantle them all. Our political leaders can no longer shirk their responsibilities. <laughs> okay. So the best way then, according to these, these climate activists, the best way for us to dismantle, if we are, if we're to believe that we are have built this entire world on patriarchal, colonial racism, uh, you know, mutually uh, exploitative means, then the best way for us to aid in that is to deny the people who have been tread upon a cheap, clean source of a virtually infinite. Energy creation, that's what he's arguing for? Because it does seem to me that all of these people that have been crushed under the boot of the patriarchy or the boot of, of racism for all these years might, in fact, benefit from having clean, cheap power rather than tearing down a system and replacing it with a system which would be infinitely more expensive, make harvesting crops, shipping crops, uh, providing energy, providing heat and warmth. And, you know, just to remind everybody, we are at an all-time low in people's deaths from exposure to the elements, people's deaths from extreme weather, uh, all of these various things associated with climate change, we are at an all-time low for. So the argument that I'm seeing predominantly, and, and this took place too, uh, I was on a panel, you know, I, I, I mentioned this in the show before, and I played a little bit of it, I think, uh, but I was on a panel it was a comedy show. I did a little bit of comedy, you know, slang some jokes about the environment. And then I was on this panel for about an hour, which, you know, it's funny because I, I was thinking of this because Dave Smith was just on this event at the Paley Center with, um, with uh, David Cross, who used to be one of my favorite comedians and now just is an insufferable liberal fucking jackass. Um, uh, Elaine Boozler, who uh, also was in and basically a lot of insufferable liberal jackasses or leftist jackasses. Let's make the, the separation there between liberal and lefty. And he's talking about how, you know, you're up there and you kind of pick your battles because you know the whole crowd's against you. 
you know the entire panel is against you and you're the only person that has a differing opinion. And that was basically what it was in my own event too. And it was you know all about climate change and I'm the one sole person up there, you know, and I'm going up against a, uh, a you know a climate doctor from UCLA and uh, you know two comedians that are completely lefty and and you know <laughs> travel across the country arguing lefty points and doing, you know, doing exposés on how climate's affecting things and uh, and one other guy this other Yahoo who's like a, I don't even know a marine biologist or something and I will say that I held my own pretty goddamn well but it is an interesting circumstance where you find yourself up in these circum- in these situations where you know what you are going to get maybe 10 minutes and that everything you say is going to be attacked nonstop. So one of the things I took away from this event though was that, and I made this argument on stage was that these people seem to not understand the concept of if you put these practices into place, if you put these policies into place, if you get your environmental goals lined up, you're just going to murder all of the people that you're saying are the downtrodden, all the people that you're saying are the recipients of racism and colonialization and the patriarchy, all of those people you're saying you're trying to help will be the first people to die if you put your new policies in place. They are the absolute most affected people. The ones who are not affected as much would be the rich and powerful elites that you would pretend to hate so much in which you, of course, you are part of that class. Because the first thing that happens when you raise rates on electricity, when you make it more difficult to have food creation, when you make it more difficult to have shipping and exchange of goods, is that the poor feel that the most. Because the basic elements of everything are based upon cheap fuel to enable creation of products, to enable uh, production, to enable manufacturing, to to enable growth, to enable shipping. All these things are fucking tied in. So if you eliminate that, you eliminate the lowest class of us. So they're basically saying, we're willing to sacrifice the lives of all the people whose lives we're trying to save. And if that isn't something that makes no sense at all, I don't know what is. I mean, how can you be so blind to that simple logic? Ay, ay, ay. So anyway, I just want to point that out. And, and if you don't know, you know, nuclear has come a long way. We're, we're well past the Hiroshima days. We're well past the days of uh, Chernobyl. We are now to the point where there hasn't been a, I think it's like we're on like, uh, you know, there's there's different cycles of, you know, it's like nuclear one, nuclear two, nuclear three, nuclear four. Right now we're looking at, I think, nuclear five. And I can't remember the exact technical term for it, but it's like, uh, you know, uh, the fifth generation. And I don't think anything within generations three, into up until now, and Generation 3 is still you know, 20, 30 years old. No problems, no leaks. I mean, like anything, technology advances, but yet you've got these eco-nuts, you've got these assholes saying, oh my God, well, look at the radiation, look at this and that. It's like, okay, these are these are plants that are 60 years old, maybe maybe more. You don't think the technology advances? And that was another thing I mentioned when I was on this climate panel. They seem to be convinced that time has stopped that human innovation has stopped and that, oh, you know, oh, the world is going to end in 10 years and we're, we can never turn back and the, you know, our children are doomed. No, no, I'm sorry, bullshit. Even if the worst case scenarios are true, right? Let's say, and now I've debunked the 10 year, 12 year, the world's going to think that was a misunderstanding by AOC and these other assholes of a, uh, you know, UN climate panel report or whatever the fuck it was. Uh, that was about economics, not about the world warming. 
But let's say you take the worst case scenarios that exist out there, right? Let's say that we are now past the point where we cannot cool the world by ceasing our CO2 emissions at, at whatever rate they were trying to do. Let's say the world is in fact warming, which again, it has never been proved to be warming close to any climate model created. But let's say it's true. Let's say the world's going to warm two degrees in the next hundred years, right? I think that's something like uh, something rather reasonable, quote unquote, reasonable expectation for these people. Let's say that's true. Were it to become a major problem facing humanity with all the resources we have, people would turn their attention towards that specific problem. And as they have throughout human history, find a way to overcome it. Now, that might be in the way of carbon scrapers, that might be, or carbon scrubbers, that might be uh, solutions of a quick turn to alternative energy sources, that might be uh, some other alternative that I haven't even thought of because I'm not some sort of nuclear scientist that can figure these things out. That's not my purview. I'm a goddamn screenwriter, I'm a publicist, I'm a libertarian podcaster, and I'm a heavy drinker. Not to say that heavy drinkers can't figure these things out. In fact, people that drink more heavily are tend to be the smartest people uh, by my studies done. <laughs> That's true, actually. The higher the IQ, the more you drink, apparently. But are we to believe that human ingenuity wouldn't play any role in this? Do we stop as a period? Are we, are we Han Solo in fucking Carbonite over here? And we're incapable of turning towards an issue and trying to figure out a way to stop it? Were it that pressing? No, of course not. Of course, if this was a pressing issue, we'd find ways to stop it. I mean, look at the look at the arms race. There's a threat. It's called a nuclear weapon. Very quickly, we figured out, okay, well, other countries go, well, we need to get one of them. So they find their own nuclear weapon. Then they develop shields. Then they develop technology to shoot down the nukes. Then they develop hypersonic missiles like we're seeing now. If you are facing a threat, you find a way to conquer that threat or at least counteract that threat. And right now, Global warming is not a fucking threat. When it is, if it ever becomes one, I have full faith in humanity to figure it out and to find a way to combat it. But that does not involve turning away clean energy sources because they don't solve racism and because they don't solve inequality. Meanwhile, the cheap power is an equalizer. The more people that can have access to cheap fucking power can spend their time and resources elsewhere, improving their lives, getting ahead, opening up businesses, whatever the hell else they want to do. But jackasses like Zach Cantor here can't see that. Okay, next story. Donald Trump, massive piece of shit. I know I uh, today I made a little joke about uh, Trumpity Trump Trump in my Frosty the Snowman song not to endorse Trump in any way. But Trump is the very first president to use the Patriot Act to detain a man indefinitely. Now, Section 412 of the Patriot Act, which permits indefinite detention of resident aliens on national security grounds, had never been used in the 18 years it's existed to indefinitely detain somebody. Now, they had a man in prison named Adhem Amin Has... Oh, God, you know me. I'm going to fuck this up. Adam Amin Hassoun, uh, who's down in his late 50s, has spent nearly the entire war on terrorism in a cage. He was picked up in June 2002 on an immigration violation, and he was basically they ended up kind of lumping him in with this guy who was a once suspected dirty bomber named Jose Padilla or Padilla. Uh, however, Hassoun was never accused of anything. 
Uh, he was he they found out he was cutting checks to a Muslim charity that was tied into extremist operations in Kosovo and Chechnya. And Congress had outlawed those after 9-11. And he wrote all his checks before 9-11. So they said, okay, you wrote these checks before it was illegal. We don't have any proof that you knew that they were associated with extremist organizations or not. We have no evidence that you yourself were a terrorist or were involved with any terrorist plots. And after 15 years, he was sentenced for 15 years in prison, despite the fact that they had no evidence that he'd never been associated with a plot. And he wrote his checks all before 9-11. He spent 15 years in prison, federal prison. And in 2017, his sentence was up. But instead of going free, he ended up in the custody of Immigration Customs Enforcement. They locked him up in New York City and or not, not in uh, New York, probably in Western New York. And despite the fact that ICE wanted to dis- deport him, the Palestinian nature of his state, that's who is, uh, you know, he's from Palestine, and their stateless nature, because obviously we can't allow Palestine to be a state, right? We have to make sure that Israel keeps fucking them over forever. So they can't deport him to there. They can't deport him to Lebanon, uh, which I guess is where he was born. And they couldn't deport him to Israel that occupies the West Bank because they're not willing to take him. Basically, just ended up sitting in jail. And he's still sitting in jail today. You know why? Because the Trump administration declared that he is a national threat to security, despite the fact that he's been in jail 15 years. So instead of going free here, since all the alternatives have been X'd out, he should have just gone free here where he was detained. Trump says, nope. You're a threat to national security. And under Section 412, they are allowed an indefinite detention of six months that can be renewed forever. And that's basically what he's at. He's he's with ICE forever. And they're using these kind of like secondhand reports of, oh, he's he's pissed off. He's still a terrorist that they heard in jail, which again, may or may not be true. Uh, again, <laughs> for a guy that's never been associated, never been accused of uh, being involved with any sort of plot against the United States. Just in jail forever. The Patriot Act, which I remind you, both sides renewed with vigor, with very few exceptions, pushed it right back through, and which remains an absolute embarrassment. I mean, what other bill can you possibly think of that violates two constitutional amendments back to back in such brazen manner? I mean, the Fourth and Fifth Amendments. Search and seizure? Yeah, no, don't worry about that. We're spying on you all the time. We're collecting all of your data. We're, uh, you know, we're looking in your cars. We're looking in your bags. Although they just said now that they can't look through your cell phones at the border without having a warrant or a, a reasonable excuse to do it. And then, of course, yeah, habeas corpus. That's out the weirdo. At the God, I can't talk. I'm losing it, guys. I'm losing it. My mind is going. This day I've had. Anyway. Uh, yeah, your habeas corpus, your right to face a, a trial by jury, your right not to be detained indefinitely, the reason all that's gone. Just absolutely, absolutely insane. Okay, so that's that one. Moving on, we're going to kick through some of these. Uh, next thing on the Trump, he says he's going to des- designate Mexican cartels as terrorists. So that's fun. So I guess instead of building the wall, which Trump's kind of doing, maybe he's just going to go down and just use this war on terror and the cartels to expand the war and the military industrial complex's role in the war on terror so that Mexicans will be too scared of all the bullets flying back and forth to try to cross. Maybe that's it. Is that, is that what the plan is here? 
Is he trying to kill two birds with one stone? He could use this as an excuse to justify the outrageously massive new budget the Pentagon has for our military. And in the meantime, also say that he's being tough on immigration because, you know, you got at least 17 to 18,000 children, women, and adults who want to come over here to work a month are just getting clipped off by our military thinking that they're cartel members trying to cross the border. I mean, hey, six D chess, easily 70, 75 D chess here with Trump. But we're seeing shit like this. And you saw in the last debate, Tulsi Gabbard and Booty Jidge, aka Mayor Butt Stuff, they're sparring back and forth because Booty Judge said he's fine with sending troops across the border to fight the cartels. Never mind the answer to all of this. And, you know, I was kind of had some hope that Trump was going to legalize weed fully. You know, there was still talk about enabling weed companies to work with banks directly. I think that's in the Senate right now. I thought Trump was going to make some moves that way, especially after he got rid of Jeff Sessions. But this asshole is taking the absolute wrong approach to this, especially as a guy who's supposed to be, oh, well, let's do things a, a better way. Let's be fiscally conscious. Bullshit to that. Instead of that, let's ramp up the war on drugs, which not only has put people in this country behind bars, and you think, you know, he's bragging about the First Step Act and, and signing that, and that was a great thing. Don't get me wrong. The First Step Act, helping people that are on these nonviolent bullshit drug offenses out of jail and back into society, fantastic. But then he turns around and does this kind of idiotic shit. All this is going to do is hurt more Americans because they're going to, there's no way that this is going to happen without harder crackdown on both sides of the border. So you're going to have more Americans that are going to get sucked into this. You're going to have more debts of American citizens because look, I doubt that there is a military that is as well equipped or brutally violent as the Mexican cartels. I mean, these fuckers are better equipped than the Afghans we're fighting. And we're going to go into another country, into Mexico, where they know the ins and outs, where the populace doesn't want to do anything to help us for fear of retribution by these violent monsters who cut up peoples and put them into, you know, hang them off bridges and put them into containers and burn them alive in tires. I mean, Jesus Christ, this is like 10 times worse than Saddam Hussein, what these people do. But we're going to go down there. Throw away American lives on a war that cannot be won? I was arguing with a buddy of mine, and he's, for the most part, libertarian, although he leads a little bit more conservative. But I'm talking to him, and thank God he's he, you know, he's a rational individual. We're at dinner, and he's saying, ah, oh, fuck it, go down and kill them all. And I told him, I said, you know, and I, the problem with that, right, I, I, never mind the million problems I'd have said with it. I said, the biggest problem with that is it won't work. There's no chance of it working. You can put a million troops anywhere in the world, and it's not going to stop the drug trade. I mean, Jesus Christ, in the Philippines, you still have the drug trade, and Duarte's been killing people over there left and right. He gave the police full carte blanche to kill whoever they fucking want. There's still drug trade because there is money to be made and lots of money to be made. And anywhere there's a black market with that much money to be made, you're going to have people willing to take that risk. And in Mexico, clearly they're willing to take that risk. You'll remember the previous president of Mexico. He said, I'm going to take the cartels on head on with my military. You know who won that war? The cartels won and they won easily. And it wasn't close. And now we're saying that we want to get in this fucking Mexican Vietnam because we don't want to have we want people to have some weed. They don't want people to have some cocaine or some heroin. If you want to have all the cocaine and all the heroin, go for it, man. You're choosing to do that. 
You're choosing to buy it and use it, and you take on the benefits or detriments to your body that go along with that, or to your life, or to your family life, or whatever that might be. If you can handle your shit good, if you can't, tough shit, man. You made that choice. But you know who can't make a choice? is somebody in the military getting sent down to Mexico into a fucking meat grinder of cartel machine guns over something that Americans don't even fucking care about. Ooh, getting all riled up. Let me take a little break here. The disco music means it's time for me to talk about my man, Pete Quinones, over at, did I say it right that time? Shit, I think I might have said it right. My man, Pete Qbert Nones, over at Freeman Beyond the Wall. Of course, Pete, you know him as Mance. You know him as uh, the Radar. <laughs> Are you on my Mance? Are you on my Mance Radar? <laughs> God, I'm just making myself laugh at the dumbest shit. All right. Anyway, he has a great podcast. You guys should check it out. Uh, of course, Pete is also over at the Libertarian Institute. He is managing editor there. He's popping up some great articles. And uh, he posts them in our Lions of Liberty forum quite often. You guys should check that out as well. But go first to freemanbeyondthewall.com or go to your favorite podcatching app and uh, just look it up, man. Free Man Beyond the Wall. He's got some great guests on. Does a lot of fantastic interviews with people that might be outside of your regular libertarian sphere. And um, yeah, check him out. Let him know the Lions of Liberty sent you. Tweet at him or something. I don't care. However you communicate. I, smoke signals. Whatever floats your boat, man. And we don't. Something like 85% of people believe that marijuana should be legal. And predominantly, a lot of that drug trade from Mexico is still marijuana. A lot of it's still cocaine. You know what, man? Legalized marijuana. I bet the half the country right now thinks cocaine should be legal too. And if they don't, they're going to start thinking the way we're thinking once you start seeing those body bags come back from Mexico. This is an absolute atrocious use. And this is why I... I absolutely reject the entire concept of a war on terror because just like this, it's a road that never ends. It's a, it's a term that can be applied to anything and everything. You're going to label these, these drug cartels, terrorists. Okay, great. And you know what? They are terrorists in their own country. Doesn't really appeal to us or apply to us that much. And again, we can end it just by legalizing the drug war or legalizing the drug trade, but it's a magic wand that makes anybody eligible to go on our kill list. It makes anybody eligible for us to go across traipsing across international borders. I think the, the irony, by the way, is not lost to me that Trump wants such secure borders, but it is no problem marching our troops across anybody else's border for whatever purpose he sees fit. Ungoddamn believable. All right. Uh, next story. Moving on, moving on. How about this one? Hey, you want to hear, you know, the most shocking, this is, this is, I mean, I couldn't believe it, and you guys won't either, but Britain's first transgender couple, Jody, who's 21 years old, and Greg Rogers, 27, I, pre I presume Jody's last name is Rogers now, both from Glasgow, Scotland, but Jody and Greg Rogers are married, the first transgender couple, uh, and to spell that out, Jody used to be a dude, Greg used to be a chick. And then Greg got pregnant and gave birth to a kid who's now five years old. So the big story is that this transgender couple has just revealed that they will allow their five-year-old child 
to also begin gender transition. Yes, he's a boy, and now he's going to become a girl. So Greg Rogers told the Daily Record, quote, we've had people, we've had people saying that we're using Jaden for attention and that she just wants to be a girl because I changed sex. It's ridiculous. Jaden knows nothing about my past. She just knows me as dad, though I presume he sounds more like a chick than I do. And according to the couple, Jaden is adamant he's a girl and he loves dressing up as Princess Anna from the Disney film Frozen. So... Is it just me or does it seem like an unbelievable coincidence that a child, a child that is five years old is identifying as a girl when he's a boy, as a transgender, when even though we're in a realm in an area now where, you know, more children are being either diagnosed as transgender, because, you know, if you're three and five years old, you don't know anything you think you could be a puppy. But even though we're seeing more of that, it's still an infinitesimally small percentage of the population. It just seems incredible that these people would have a child who just turns out to also be transgender. I mean, what are the odds? A mom's transgender, a dad's transgender, baby transgender? What? I mean, this isn't like dwarfism where, you know, you just happen to have genes that make you a dwarf and then bingo, bango. It's not like everybody else in their family has been transgender. And, you know, I mean, look, guys, maybe I'm a cynic. Maybe I just don't believe in love and transgender genealogy as much as some other people. But to me, it kind of seems like, yeah, this kid knows that you were transgender and if the kid doesn't, then you've been pushing that child in this direction because that's what you want, because you have a hangup wherein you believe that this is the right way to go. And you want to justify your own decision by saying, oh, it's so common that my own child is doing it. And thus you're pushing your child into doing this. And it is in fact not the child's decision because the child is five years old and can't really make that kind of decision. Now, this comes in the wake of many people at uh, Britain's National Health Service, which has been I don't know. Uh, if you read something, some people say that that the average Briton will say it's the thing they're most proud of in the UK, despite the fact that it is failing badly at the moment and that the Britons are out in the streets rioting because they demand that it has to be funded better because, you know, it's bankrupt and it's not functioning and people can't get in to see a doctor. And they also have some of the lowest cancer survival rates in the world. However, uh, if that's not the only problem because five different people working at Britain's only NHS transgender clinic quit after children that were as young as three years old were being put through unnecessary gender reassignment treatments. Uh, to remind everybody, when you go through these treatments as a small child, they alter your hormones and prevent you from ever going through puberty property, uh, essentially changing the outcome of your life before you even know what life really is. So, um, yeah, I, I have a fairly big issue with this entire thing. Oh, wow. But hey, you know, let's just sit back and be very happy for this couple. They really beat the odds. Those infinitesimally small odds. They beat them and had themselves a transgender kid. Wow. Just first place. 
But you know what? Let's end this on a high note. Like I said, it's going to be a shorter episode. I'm tired. I'm finishing it up here. Uh, but we'll end on a high note. And that's going to end with a Booker Prize winner, Bernadine Evaristo, who has come out and said, and this is just in the wake of, let me a little backstory here. So right now, you know, there's this big young, young uh, people is like, was it YT, young teens or something? It's like the, the young fiction genre, kind of like if you think about the Hunger Games, if you think about those awful movies that were like transcendent, divergent, uh, convalescent, <laughs> stupid names, these goddamn movies, or like the Maze Runner series, all these, all of these YA novels, young adult novels, right? Basically, what's been going on is that you know cultural appropriation is the big boogeyman, and all of these writers are supposed to have book deals, and then somebody comes out and calls them a racist or say that they culturally appropriated something because they have a black character in their book and they're white or they're, there's like an Asian chick and they're like, oh, well, you wrote a you wrote a Tibetan uh, or, or you wrote a you know you wrote a Kenyan woman in your book and you don't know a Kenyan's lifestyle, you're not living your truth, and it's just it, fucking idiot. So they cancel the cancel culture comes against these people, despite the fact that the people are the like, the people are as woke as you could be up until ten minutes before that, and then they get then they get torn apart because they weren't woke enough as the culture shifted immediately. So this Booker Prize winner Bernadine Evaristo, uh, who's won what did she win for? Let's see. Show Girl Woman Other is her book that she won for. And she came out after she won this prize and she's telling the times of London. She says the whole idea of cultural appropriation is ridiculous because that would mean I could never write white characters or white writers can never write black characters. Look at television. That happens all the time. But there's this idea that when it comes to fiction that you are supposed to stay in your lane, it is total nonsense. Bravo. Kudos. I agree. I agree. She goes on to say, the main characters in Girl, Woman, Other range in age from 19 to 93. A non-binary character, Megan, who's been brought up as a girl, then changes their name to Morgan. Everisa said it had been difficult writing about Megan because it is a sensitive area. She added, that's not my primary concern because you don't know who is going to be offended by anything you write. I refuse to construct some kind of character who is going to appease everyone. Yes, exactly right. Now, I would argue that, you know, it's kind of, it annoys me a bit, uh, which, you know, the whole they, they're their pronoun thing and whatever. It's a nod to the to the left. But hey, whatever. You want to be trans? You want to change your name? You want to be called Shim? Whatever. If I'm in a room with you and I know you personally, I'm happy to call you that. Um, however, the point says the same here. You need to be able to tell stories. And we can't have a culture wherein we're alternately demanded to include characters of diverse backgrounds. And as a screenwriter, I have to do this. You know, I'm a white guy. So primarily I know white guys and white culture. Of course, you know, I've got my, my black friends and my Latino friends and et cetera, but I haven't lived their lives. I don't know. I don't know. Am I writing an authentic black guy? I don't know. I don't like, I can only write what I've experienced. So they're demanding you write all these diverse voices, right? They want you to have these different characters and you have the challenge of writing for them. And you try to be as authentic as you can. But at the same time, you can't demand these people write diverse voices and then say that they can't write them because they haven't lived that lifestyle. And of course, it should apply in fiction too. It should apply in anything. It's a character. You're creating a character. You're trying to show a different point of view. You're, and whether or not that's accurate or not, you know, it's not up to somebody to be offended by that because they happen to have had a different experience. Because 
If I write a black character who's a D&D playing nerd who grew up rich and privileged, that doesn't mean that that person doesn't exist. Just because the average African-American might say, oh, you know, that's not my life. I didn't grow that up. So, you know, you're full of shit. That's a bullshit character. Well, no, no, it's not. I'm sure there are plenty of people that grew up in that lifestyle that are black, that are Latino, that are whatever. I'm sure there's plenty of Asians that didn't grow up like Andrew Yang, knowing doctors that didn't go on to become tech entrepreneurs. I'm sure there's plenty of Asians that grew up in fucking poverty, man, and had to work in a Chinese restaurant, sleep on the floor until their family made it. Just because you are offended because your fucking personality and your personal sensitivities don't jibe with the character doesn't mean that the fucking character's wrong. It means you are fucking wrong and you need to shut the fuck up. Go read something else. If you don't like the book, close the book. Hey, while I'm thinking about it, I'll give a plug to my buddy Renzo W. Martinez, who was on our Legion of Doom podcast for our Patreon uh, supporters. But it's called How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. Uh, just came out. It's a pretty cool book. It's a, uh, a fiction book. So it's not, uh, but based in politics, kind of based upon um, George Wallace, a, a famous racist of the past, and uh, references a current man and, and Jeffrey Kennedy. I'm, I'm just barely into it. I'm like uh, a quarter of the way in, so I can't give up too much of the book. I'm trying to get through it so I can have him on the show, hopefully this month. But uh, dealing with all this other stuff on my plate, it's been hard to get through and find the time to flip some pages. But uh, so far, I like it. Anywho, all right, guys, that's going to wrap it up. At the end of the show, I want to remind you that you should go check out Mark on Mondays with his in-depth interviews with leaders of the Liberty Movement. Of course, I am every Wednesday, and John Odermatt is on Friday with Felony Fridays dishing about the horribly named justice system, which, of course, is just the worst. It's just the worst. So check those guys out. I'm going to go back to my miserable life and hopefully be in better spirits next week for all of you. So from me, Brian McWilliams from Electric Liberty Land and from the Lions of Liberty, always stay plugged into Liberty.